A thousand voices were screaming, but Arya never heard them. Prince Joffrey, no, King Joffrey, stepped out from behind the shields of his king's guard. My mother bids me let Lord Eddard take the black, and Lady Sansa has begged mercy for her father. He looked straight at Sansa then, and smiled, and for a moment Arya thought that the guards had heard her prayer, until Joffrey turned back to the crowd and said, But they have the soft hearts of women. So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Sir Ilion, bring me his head. The crowd roared, and Arya felt the statue of Baelor rock as they surged against it. The high septon clutched at the king's cape, and Varys came rushing over, waving his arms, and even the queen was saying something to him, but Joffrey shook his head. Lords and knights moved aside as he stepped through, tall and fleshless, a skeleton in iron mail, the king's justice. Poor old Ned. In one stroke, George R. R. Martin says, Hey, don't you just love how in every story you've ever read, the protagonist lives through it all or dies heroically after defeating the villain? Yeah, me neither. The TV show Game of Thrones brought the story of A Song of Ice and Fire to a whole new audience. People couldn't get enough of the no-holds-barred approach to fantasy. Blood and guts, full frontal nudity, profanity up the wazoo. But does it ever cross the line? I mean, tropes exist for a reason. The hero's journey is supposed to end with a return home, not gored by a spear in a foreign land. When do edgy, grimy, gritty stories, where everyone's an asshole and you can't trust anyone, become too much? genre where the only limitations are imagination and language, fantasy is still finding new ways to grow. This is Modern Magic, the show where I speak to authors about how the genre is changing and whether those changes are for better or worse. So sit back, sip on red wine like your Cersei Lannister in the Red Keep, and enjoy. popular fantasy subgenres in the last couple decades is called grimdark. It's often seen as a reaction to Tolkien, like, well, just like everything else in the entire fantasy genre. But specifically, it's a rejection of Tolkien-esque idealism. The world is amoral, right and wrong are quaint little terms that mean nothing. 
Violence is pervasive, adult themes are expected, and a long shower is required after wading through it all. All that said, authors have struggled to really define grimdark. Those who condemn the genre call it a glorified excuse for gratuitous violence. They'll say, oh, this is grimdark because, like, every woman in the book gets uh, sexually assaulted. Or this is grimdark because, like, everybody gets murdered. And, like, okay, well, you're not actually digging into anything useful. You're not saying anything new. Alexandra Rowland, author of A Conspiracy of Truth and A Choir of Lies, isn't necessarily against dark themes in literature. Like many others, they just believe that the violence and the sex needs to be in service to the plot. Take Fonda Lee, the author of the Greenbone Saga, for example. I think of everything in my books as um, being in service of the story. So if I'm putting in something that is going to be... Uh, like I, I, I take the same approach with dark topics and violence and and um, adult themes and sex scenes and so on the same way I think of fight scenes um, in stories and um, my approach to that is that they have to have narrative consequence so if you can take it out of the story and not notice that it's gone then it's gratuitous and it's unnecessary so if you can take um, you know, a, a fight scene out of a story and nothing has materially changed. You just put it in there because you felt like maybe this part of the story was lagging a bit and needed some need, needed something to blow up, but it didn't materially change the story, then it wasn't needed. So every single thing that I put into the books has to be necessary. It has to advance the story. It has to have consequences on the characters. Um, it has to motivate the characters or demotivate the characters or change something fundamentally about their relationship. Um, otherwise it's not needed. But if, uh, if it is needed, then I'm not going to shy away from depicting it as bluntly and frankly as anything else. This probably isn't too controversial of an opinion among fantasy authors. Too much pointless sex and violence and that starts to venture away from fantasy. Sex for the sake of sex becomes romance or erotica. Violence for the sake of violence becomes a Quentin Tarantino movie. Now, opinions might differ on what constitutes violence in service of the plot. Some people might level accusations at A Song of Ice and Fire for being gratuitous. Well, I see a lot of people being very tired of George R. R. Martin and Game of Thrones because of the amount of like sexual assault and just like unrelenting of faith in humans. Possibly in response to the huge success of Game of Thrones, but you'd be somewhat hard-pressed to find adult fantasy these days that doesn't at least dip its toe into the pool of bloodshed and debauchery. That's not to say that everything is grimdark. There's still plenty of positive stories with optimistic outlooks. It's just that it's become fashionable to have some grit. Whether you like it or not, most of today's fantasy is not like Tolkien where most problems can be solved by puzzling out an especially hard riddle or outwitting your enemies. That said, there are modern attempts to avoid some of the recent trends towards the profane. Michael J. Sullivan's Ryuria Chronicles are hugely successful. They're also notable for being adult fantasy that is nearly devoid of overt gore, sex, and profanity. 
There's still violence, but it's more understated. Rather than as a response to what's going on in the genre, Sullivan said it ended up that way, more as a happy accident. Uh, as far as the sex is concerned, I never found a re- reason for it. Now, if, to me, I don't have my characters going to the bathroom in the, in the story, so I also don't have them having sex, unless sex had something to do with the plot. Now, my stories generally don't, they're not romances, and the sex doesn't really pertain to moving the plot any, nor does it really expand any of the characters, so I have never had a need to put in a sex scene. It just doesn't, it's never come up. Um, you know, I grew up watching things like Errol Flynn's Robin Hood and, and those kinds of things, and they didn't have it, and I liked those, so I just kind of followed that same kind of theme. Um, so I never really had that dropped in, because it didn't move the character's story the way I wanted it to go. And lastly, the gore, uh, I mean, I don't, I have fairly violent scenes in it, but uh, I tend to like to leave a lot to the reader. I, I've discovered that if you describe 50% of what you want them to imagine and let them imagine the rest, they're going to do a much better job. Whatever Sullivan's reasons, readers responded to his books. Many see them as a safe place away from the deluge of horrors pervasive in other fantasy novels. Alexandra Rowland suggested adding warnings in books, tell readers pick and choose what potentially triggering elements they'll find in a given novel. And I think that we could be doing more to be uh, giving readers the opportunity to consent to read the books that they are in a place to read um, through the use of like trigger warnings, for example. Like, does this book, there are many, many people I know who simply want to know, does this book have sexual assault in it? And if it does, I'm sure that that's a great book, but that's not the right book for them at that time. Uh, And we shouldn't be like tricking people into reading books that are going to be damaging for them. Roland recommended having the warning at the back of the book so spoiler-averse people can avoid it while others can actively seek it out. In contrast, Rob J. Hayes, author of Pawn's Gambit, feels that the warning could have serious drawbacks deterring potential readers who may actually have no problem with the book it may put off some people from who who wouldn't be triggered who just like i just don't want to read about that or whatever um whereas they may end up really enjoying the book um but you know it may sort of say contain sexual assault and they'll be like oh i don't want to read that then but then quite often it might not really it's just that sort of like it, it maybe hints at the 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 idea it's it's a tough one and not having any sort of triggers myself in that sort of sense it's really hard for me to um give a valid opinion on it i think with or without trigger warnings grimdark is here to stay in at least some small way the massive influence that george R. R. martin has had can't be understated there are masses of readers who'd like to be kept on their toes, having no inclination of what horrible atrocity will befall their favorite character. Some would say that Grimdark's popularity is waning, and that may be true. There's probably some truth to the idea that when things are shitty, people like to read uplifting stories and vice versa. And let's be honest, things are a bit shitty right now. But then again, If you look at an author like Joe Abercrombie, the self-styled Lord Grimdark, he's at the top of his game. His books are some of the most beloved and well-received in the entire fantasy genre. There is definitely some accuracy to some of those uh, 
sort of like allegations that there are books that just they wallow in it they they really want the to to, to revel in the in the in the grief and the violence and the uh, and the assault um but i really don't think that that's the the poster boys of the genre personally um if you look at somebody like abercrombie yeah there is there's violence of course there is um but that's not the point of the books game of thrones became grimdark the moment ned stark's head left his body by that point in the book readers knew that Martin's world was dark as hell, but we only felt that soul-crushing dread when Ned, our moral compass, a beacon of nobility in a grimy, unforgiving world, is utterly defeated. It says something about the human condition that that moment, along with, for example, the crimson nuptials later in the series, stand out as the most enjoyable and unforgettable moments of the whole series. We are weird, grotesque people sometimes. We watch horror movies and film car crashes. We pay people to beat each other up and give awards to books that send us into a weeping depression. Fantasy readers aren't necessarily looking for perfectly moral, unflinchingly good characters defeating hordes of evil. We're looking for complexity and flaws. Whether we want all that with a side of blood and guts, well, that depends on the person. Thank you to Fonda Lee, Alexandra Rowland, Robert J. Hayes, and Michael J. Sullivan for appearing on this episode. And thank you to Adrian Von Ziegler for the use of his music. This has been Modern Magic. I hope you enjoyed. Mm-hmm.